You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. And tonight we're talking about the 1962 political thriller directed by John Frankenheimer, The Manchurian Candidate. You no trouble. Me, fifth element. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. What's happening, man? Getting ready to talk some uh, <laughs> some political thriller here. Some Manchurian Candidate with you, buddy. Fantastic film. Uh, now this is from 1962. It we we said it's a political thriller. It's a it's also kind of like a little political satire. Um, yeah. There's some comedy in the movie as well. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's a movie where some soldiers get get brainwashed and you know i guess the maturing candidates kind of like popped up in pop culture yeah you know it's it's a word that's it's out there in the zeitgeist you know a lot of people know the maturing candidate i maybe not know the source material well i guess this movie was based on a book yeah it was it was based on a novel by richard and uh, yes and especially with the uh political kind of climate in our country now you you're starting to hear that word get thrown around quite a bit and uh <laughs> yes <laughs> yes a little bit here lately <laughs> yeah just just a little bit may, may, um, maybe trump doesn't like those russian connections yeah you know it, it really is it is kind of a dark film it takes away your your any of your senses your sense of empathy you know complete hypnosis that is such an intricately designed hypnosis that it's only triggered when said puppet master wants it to be triggered. Yeah, in the movie, it's it's triggered by playing a game of solitaire because one of the the whole basic of the plot is that they take these these army soldiers and they turn one of them into this secret assassin, and they call him up and you know you like hey you play a game of solitaire. That's the trigger to get them to go out and kill, and then they can give them what whatever orders they need to. They're just, you know, they're a brainwashed stooge. So this movie was released in 1962 during the the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, dude, that is insane, man. Yeah, it is because a lot of people really aren't that familiar with it. But essentially, it was 
worldwide proxy wars between communists and the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just a blockade and, of trying to keep nukes from coming into Cuba. The yeah, commie zone. I yeah. mean, it's it's and it, it's insane because I mean, this movie is about communism during the Cold War. At one point in time, you know, they were doing drills in schools, you know, just in case there was an atomic bomb attack from Russia. And so there was a lot of there was a lot of tensions at that time. And and for a movie like the Manchurian candidate to come out during the height of this, that's about, you know, hypnosis and Oh, I bet it was. I bet it was extraordinarily shocking. And I mean, I you know, I wouldn't be surprised if like a lot of people didn't actually believe this. <laughs> that the Russians were capable of completely hypnotizing someone to the point to where they can control them like a mindless slave. A year after this movie was released, um, yeah, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. That was maybe one of the reasons that the film actually got pulled from theaters was because, I mean, because, you know, movies played for longer than a year, you yeah. know, back in the day. Mo- movies were out for uh, quite a long time. And so when JFK w- was shot, the rumor was that the movie got pulled because of that. Um, but yeah. uh, to the contrary, the, there was actually like theater owners and exhibitors that were demanding this film uh, get re-released to <laughs> to profit off of uh, JFK's assassination. Uh, yeah, business, I mean, that, that's... That's kind of fucked up, you know. A little bit. Um, and then I think, what was it, 1988, it had a, a kind of a resurgent. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it did. It kind of got really There's a bunch of conflicting rumors surrounding that, but nothing's really been proven. One of the theories was that actor slash singer Frank Sinatra had a big stake in the movie. He basically held the cards, pun intended, for the movie. He was the big reason the movie got made. Well, yeah. him and uh, the president, JFK himself. Which is crazy, dude, to think that, you know, like, this movie kind of had the backing of the president. <laughs> well, I mean, it just shows what a cool president and what, like, people really loved JFK. You know, like, he could say, I like this book, or I, w- I would love to see this book made into a movie. And like Hollywood and, and people would generally get excited and they and they go do it. Like the I think the second Bond movie from Russia with Love, like the reason that was the second one is because, you know, John F. Kennedy was like, Hey, you know, this is my favorite Bond book. I really like this one. It's unfortunate that that uh President Kennedy's life was cut short because I really think that, that he could have done a lot for our country. Well, I mean, okay, that's not the only weird thing though connection real oh, life yeah, yeah there are other weird connections to this film because his Don't younger you brother people about it his younger brother robert kennedy was also really good friends with john frankenheimer the director of the manchurian candidate who was also assassinated unfortunately yeah and frankenheimer met him on the manchurian candidate like he did a bunch of commercial ads uh for robert kennedy and even he was the one who drove him from the airport to the nomination uh he was accepting the democratic um i think he won the democratic uh, primary in california and frankenheimer's the one that drove him to to accept that and man i mean you know it it's weird i was i was reading some things and there's even like uh inside the criterion uh this movie was released on, on criterion and they put a little booklet inside and there's a critic in there that even brings up like the death of robert kennedy 
may be one of the contributing factors to John Frankenheimer's work suffering in the originality department. Like uh, his work suffered creatively after that death. And I, I, I don't I, know, man. No, no. What is it? What I say that his work changed after that? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could go with that but to say that. Well, what was the term that you used earlier that someone referred to John Frankenheimer as? Oh, a workman director, a, a journeyman workman director. Yeah, journeyman director. It's like, <laughs> I feel that it's almost disrespectful to Frankenheimer. It is a little bit. It's like, oh, wow. So what are you just lumping him into like, oh, this guy's just an average Joe working class director that'll just scoop up anything that comes along. You know, I mean, not that like, he didn't do that, you know, some in his career. I mean, yeah, he did do that. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, man. I mean, you, you got to pay, you gotta, you know, pay them bills. You got to pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't hate on him. And I mean, he has had quite a, you know, he's had a, a nice run of success throughout his career. Yeah, no, he's, he's some done great some hits. very fine films. Yeah. He's done some very damn good films. Oh, man. Dude, well, I, that's how I feel. Yeah, I think he's done a lot of great work. I mean, you look at some of his movies he's done after that time period. Uh, it, French Connection 2 prophecy you know i mean reindeer games that's good Ah, reindeer's games okay uh ronan's really good ronan Uh, andersonville Mm -hmm. he went to tv there um he he did a lot he did a lot of tv movies in the early 90s but i mean he came from tv like i mean this guy yeah because i think that was i think he was quoted saying that when he first was on a film set he didn't like it and that he wanted to go back to because there was only one camera (laughs) <laughs> he didn't like that, so he he wanted to go back to TV. Yeah, well, I mean, dude, he was like a TV king. I think it was like the age of twenty four to thirty. Um, yeah, he directed like a hundred and twenty or a hundred over a hundred and like forty episodes of live or taped television. That dude, that you're working. Yeah, I mean, and see, that's what I, that's you know, going back to what we were just discussing. That's another reason why it kind of like irks me just a little bit, you know about what that guy said about him being like a journeyman or a workman director. Yeah. The dude's busted his ass, man. I mean, the proof's in the pudding and he has busted his ass. By the way, whoever, I don't know the guy's name who wrote that article and called him that, but you, sir, are an asshole. I don't know if he's an asshole. It's a point of view. You, sir, are an asshole and have a shit point of view. It was, it was, uh, it was dead center written by Howard Hampton. It is what it is, but I I definitely think when you look at Frankenheimer's, you know, body of work, you know, there are times when he's in his career he's come in and replaced fire directors, and there's a reason that you know he's he's a director that comes in and does that because he's able to think on his feet. You know, you can put him in a set, he can pick you out some shots, get a story told. You know, get like all I wonder action. if he has like really like cool name like the finisher. <laughs> It's like, we're going to have to call the finisher in. Oh, no, not the finisher. Get Frankenheimer the finisher. <laughs> like, he'd be a perfect character on like Game of Thrones. The Frankenheimer. Call Frankenheim. Frankenheim the finisher. But I mean, yeah, I mean, th- th- dude, that's that's an important skill set. Like, there's not every every that's director you yeah, can't dude. just throw into a situation and be like, okay, hey, um, this is all existing material. Make it work. You know, that being said, I will say 
most of my favorite films uh, from him are actually in that earlier time period. Birdman of Alcatraz yeah. is excellent. Manchurian Candidate, uh, Seven Days in May, The Train, and of course Seconds. You know, it, it's such a it's a good movie. Yeah, seconds. That's that's a good movie. Oh, dude, yeah, Seconds I, is I, really, I really good. Enjoy seconds. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Hitchcock uh, like TV show. Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, anything like that, highly mm-hmm. recommend it. And it's it's a short movie too. It's like I think it's like eighty yeah, something minutes. Yeah, it's not long. It's got Rock Hudson it's in it too. Shot. It's yeah. Yep. It's got it's got a weird little yep. scene in a uh, in a in a vineyard where these there's they're all squishing grapes. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's yeah, bizarre. That movie, it definitely has some. Yeah, it does have some bizarre. I was going to say it, it definitely has some bizarre. Bizarre moments in it, and some kind of like weird, quirky moments too. Yeah, you never exactly know where it's where it's headed while you're watching it, and you know that's what you want in that kind of film. And I always like Black Sunday with Bruce Dern. I know we brought that up, but that's the one with the uh, takes place in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and it, and the, yeah. the Goodyear blimp comes in and it's full mm-hmm. of all the spikes, and it's going to blow up and kill everybody at the Super Bowl. That that was a good one yep. too. Overall, you know, I think John Frankenheimer has definitely made his place in the cinematic world. Yeah, I think so too, man. Dude, I, I now that we I guess we talked about, you know, some of the the real life parallels between the people and and the and the film. Um, but the actual movie, the the story of behind the brainwashing. Yeah, the the brainwashing man is um it has kind of a bit of an interesting story behind it. Now, I don't know if it was completely coincidental or you know, if there are parallels there um, when it comes to source material, but apparently in the 1950s and 60s, the United States CIA was had a project going on called Project Artichoke, which essentially was to hypnotize someone without their knowledge and to make the perfect assassins. The project obviously didn't go over too well and you know, it's in public records, so if you want to go read it, you can read it. And when did that stuff get declassified? Like, when when did people it was know about 19, that? 1977, 1978. Okay, so that's, that's a solid decade after the release of this film. So yeah. this this was pretty much just science fiction. At the time, yeah. Outside of, like, oh, I guess during, like, the you know, the Red Scare, there was, like, brainwashing and it's in the concept it was actually made popular by um by cia fronted writers as an explanation for like the growth of communism in china and like Mm -hmm. you know if like uh these soldiers coming back from the korean war that were that were like sympathetic or uh, communist sympathizers yeah it's like oh you just got brainwashed the other big thing that we, we really need to talk about um Historically, in this movie, that the film has a lot of fun. I, I think a lot of the comedy comes from uh, is them making fun of uh, Joseph McCarthy. You know, the Red Scare, the witch hunts that were in Hollywood, looking for all the communist sympathizers in Hollywood, ruining people's careers because they think the government yeah should be you know should be run differently. It was like a fucking witch hunt. Oh yeah, no, it's ridiculous, man. It, I mean, it's embarrassing if when anybody, you think about it that this happened in our Well, history. I mean, it really is, yeah. Because if I mean, you didn't have to be a communist; you just didn't have to agree with McCarthyism, and you were automatically a communist. Like, for example, if 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 Bernie Sanders was running on the platform that he ran back in during that time, he would have been considered a communist. 
or commie sympathizer. Oh, yeah. Bernie Sanders would never be able to allow to run. He'd be like a socialist pig. I mean, the movie does have a lot of fun with this. Like, they make fun of the McCarthy senator guy. Like, in the movie, it's uh, Senator was Island. Senator Island. Yeah, Island. <laughs> it's kind of like the stand in for McCarthy. And man, yeah. they make him a bumbling idiot in the movie, and it is hilarious. And you he know, does kind of act like Donald Trump does, man. Just a little bit. You know, you know, dude, just a little. I kept, I kept thinking that the entire time in the movie. I was like, huh, you know, if Twitter was around. <laughs> if Twitter was around back then, this guy would probably be tweeting all kinds of shit. Yeah, because, you know, like it's like Trump is like at his rallies and he's like, lock her up, lock her up. And he's getting on this room to chant it. And, like, you know, you see, you see Senator Island on TV and, and the maturing candidate and he's like, so and so's a a commie sympathizer spy. It's fake news, you know. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's you know it's it, it's really ridiculous, man. And well, what was that you said earlier? Oh, it was two seventy five, one fifty, and he just starts spouting out random numbers. It's like yeah, I can't even I can't even remember how many uh, communist sympathizers are in the uh, Defense Department. Uh, yeah. It's it's 104, uh, 250. Classified papers. I have classified documents. And it is kind of ballsy that, I mean, because, you know, this movie came out in 62. This is kind of the wind down of McCarthyism. I mean, like, it was it was, yeah. it was over, but, I mean, Hollywood was still feeling that. Yeah. This isn't something that, like, happened in the past. This just happened. You you look back on it now, and, it, and it's easy, you know, in 2017 to look back on that and be like, man, that was stupid. But what really kind of gets me is, like, this shit ruined people's careers and their livelihoods. I mean, some of these actors and actresses that were put on this this blacklist, they were done, dude. Like, their careers were finished. Oh, yeah, dude. And the screenwriters. Oh, my God. And, so and many screenwriters. screenwriters. Yeah. yeah, more screenwriters than actors and actresses. All right, guys, so we're going to take a break here. We're going to play the trailer, and when we come back, we are going to get in a spoiler-filled discussion for John Frankenheimer's 1962 political thriller, The Manchurian Candidate. trailer for Manchurian Candidate. And guys, we are in spoilers right now, so if you haven't seen this movie, uh, please stop listening to the podcast, watch the film, come back and listen to the rest. If you haven't seen it, it it's it's worth watching and, and discovering these surprises for yourself. Yes. So man, let's, uh, let's talk about this little uh, James Bond prologue here in the beginning of this film in Korea, 1952. Um... Soldiers are just getting down, dude. 
having fun in a brothel. I guess that's what soldiers do. Yeah, if you watch uh, Full Metal Jacket, that's like all they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they're not in boot camp. <laughs> they're either in boot camp or with prostitutes. But yeah, I mean, and they sh- they do a good job of setting up uh, Raymond Shaw's character and like everybody in his squad like hates him. Yeah, no one, everybody looks at him as a coward. Like the overall consensus is we hate that asshole. And, I mean, you know, you don't you don't get a lot of time in this open, but they they do set that up real real quick. And these guys get captured. They have a uh, a guide that kind of takes them out on a detour, and they get ambushed and uh, taken away into helicopters. Um, and then we we get the 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 title card for the film and the uh, the opening credits. Man, what did you think of this? Oh, I, I enjoyed it, man. I thought it I thought it was I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it was like the little candidate bubble with the American flag, and then uh, it was the heart, the Queen of Heart, the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Diamonds. Is Queen that of the Diamonds. Song? Yeah, it's cool. It reminds me of those like those Saul Bass titles. Um, yeah. Saul Bass is the guy, the graphic designer that did the titles for um, like Psycho, North by Northwest. I think he did Goodfellas and Casino. He's he's done yep. he's done a bunch of good stuff, but he didn't do them here. Eh. And they're I don't know, man. They're just a little weak. Compared to some of the stuff that was also coming out, because there's another Frank Sinatra picture that Saul Bass did the opening credits for, uh, the Man with the Golden Arm. The Man with the Golden Arm. And it's not, yeah, it's not a James Bond movie. It's about a, a heroin or morphine addict. I, I don't, a drug addict. I don't think they tell you the drug in the movie, but yeah, that had really cool opening titles, and that was released before this. So I don't know. Small yeah. complaint. Super nitpicky. Yeah. What I think was kind of weird is uh, when you when you get into the uh, the hydrangea club. Yeah, dude, that is those are really cool scenes. I th- okay, I love how that whole sequence is cut. Yeah, that sequence is cut very very well. And when I first saw this, it kind of it kind of threw me off a little bit. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, because they have all these soldiers <laughs> in 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 here with all these ladies in their Sunday best. Talking about fucking flowers. You're watching it narratively in the movie. It, it's really weird because you see these guys get captured. And then you see the Raymond Shaw guy that everybody hated. He comes back and he, win, he wins a Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. And then you see Frank Sinatra, who was the colonel with Raymond major. Shaw. Oh, yeah. He was, he was the major. I'm sorry. <laughs> major Marco. Yes. And and then you see him having a nightmare. And, it, and it, it's just like the sequence of events... You have no idea where this movie is going the first time you see it. And then it does catch you off guard a little bit. Was it uh, Mrs. Henry uh, Whitmaker's Fun with Hydrangeas? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fun with Hydrangeas. And that's, dude, that's such a great, like, how they introduce it, too, from, like, Frank Sinatra sleeping. And there's this huge, like, 360 pan around the room. And, yeah. And it starts in, like, this hotel lobby setting with all these old ladies gathered around but the soldiers are up on stage with this one old lady speaking, and she's talking about hydrangeas. And this camera goes around the room. You see all these old ladies, and they're out, you know, knitting and, and listening to her. When it goes around to the, audit- the the front of the room, the front of the lobby where the podium was, now instead of instead of the hotel lobby, it's this like military compound or and lecture hall. Yeah, this military warehouse. Yeah, with this uh, this Chinese guy. 
up here uh, speaking. Who's fucking creepy as fucking balls. <laughs> talking about his communist brainwashing plan. If you were to see that guy anywhere, you'd immediately want to defend yourself. Oh, dude, it, everybody in this room is like just creepy bad guy. And they're, they're very stereotypical guys. Like there's the it's Russian general. Yeah, it's a room full of Bond villains. Yo, dude, it's, they have the uh, the guys that play in the uh, – Japanese uh, colonel. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the he's the reporter from uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. What what is the other dude? The guy with the is he supposed to be? I guess he's Russian. Yeah, with the thick mustache. Oh and yeah, and the glasses. Yeah, he's Russian. Yeah, and the I guess the other the other country's uh, China. I don't know, man. I had it kind of disturbed me a little bit. I was like, this is kind of just. It, well, I wouldn't really say disturbed me, but it gave me a feeling of unease. Well, it's constantly changing from location to location. Like, it's going from uh-huh. this, you know, evil bad guy lecture hall, you know, to the hotel lobby. And yeah. sometimes, like, certain characters, like the Chinese scientist, will be in the hotel lobby, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it'll be the old lady will be in the evil le- le- lecture hall. And sometimes you'll hear yeah. the old lady speaking, and she's talking about hydrangeas, and sometimes she's talking about brainwashing and killing people. You know, as the old lady yep, speaking, she's the yeah. one. She's the one who tells Marco to grab the scarf and kill the other soldier. Yeah, right. And it's it's and it's, it's such a good up, moment. She doesn't like speak that. She's like say that. Yeah, she's like yeah. So why don't you just grab the scarf and put it around his neck and choke him to death? Allow me to introduce our American visitors. I must ask you to forgive their somewhat lackadaisical manners, but I have conditioned them or brainwashed them, which I understand is the new American word, to believe that they are waiting out a storm in the lobby of a small hotel in New Jersey where a meeting of the Ladies' Garden Club is in progress. You will notice that I have told them they may smoke. (laughs) I've allowed my people to have a little fun in the selection of bizarre tobacco substitutes. (laughs) Are you enjoying your cigarette, Ed? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, done. Oh, tastes good. <laughs> like a cigarette should. <laughs> well then, comrade. May I present the famous Raymond Shaw. Young man, you've flown 8,000 miles to this dreary spot in Manchuria to see. Raymond, pull your chair over here by me, please. The actors in this movie, especially Marco and Shaw, those two guys sweat. A lot. Well, I mean, it's not them actually sweating. That's makeup. Well, they use a lot of makeup sweat. You know, it's uh. I mean, they get somebody out with a um, you know, a water bottle. And they yeah, just, a little spray bottle. Yeah, yeah spray for it. Well, they, they they did a lot of spritzing and misting on this movie. Yeah, dude. It's just it's just weird because I cause I was like because I, I kept noticing I was like, oh, I mean, dude, it works it looks in great the, in those close ups though. Yeah, yeah, it does, and it works in the in the dream sequences, especially in in Marco's dream sequences. Um, I love it at the end in the interrogation scene. Oh yeah, yeah, but it also works in in those. But then, like the 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 train sequence when Marco is trying to light the match and he's like just sitting there profusely sweating. <laughs> I like that, man. I think that's a nice touch. Yeah, it's just like I know it is, but at the same time, it's kind of like just like cut back on the sodium intake. It's not healthy. You sweat way too much. No, nah, man, I like it. I like to. I like to sweat. Let let but, let those um, dudes sweat it out, man. These guys are so crazy and nervous. It's definitely yeah. like you know a fifties, sixties 
style. It's like, I guess there's sometimes you know? I feel like, yeah, but I, I guess I feel like it's a, a bit overdone sometimes. It's a movie from the early '60s. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a little, it's a little yeah. overdone, dude. You know, I mean, that was, yeah. you know, especially that was the style. <laughs> yeah, if you, especially if you look at movies from the, you know the the '50s, like they're so yeah. they're so much bigger than life, you know. Yeah, and yes. all the overacting. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Like some of that, I don't know. Some of that I like. And I will say, dude, dude, I I really really do enjoy uh, Frank Sinatra's acting in this film. Yeah, I don't um, think there's any overacting in this movie. I think I think all the performances no. are pretty solid. But and I mean, even even there are points where the you know character Raymond Shaw, like he's he's kind of an asshole. And it's like I feel by the by the time the film is over with, wow, this guy really wasn't an asshole. I mean, maybe he was an asshole a little bit. At least in the end, he tried to redeem himself. I don't know. He's he, he's a dick, but you know why he's a dick? Because his mom is constant. Just oh up, yeah, Angela Lansbury. And Angela Lansbury, dude. Angela Lansbury did a phenomenal role in this movie. Oh, she, dude, she's the she, best one. She makes you fucking hate her. Oh, dude, it is such a great. It's 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 an, it's a great evil mom performance. Yeah, and I, and I like this whole. I like the whole thing with when the other soldier has the dream. His dream is the same as Marco's, except all the ladies are are now black ladies. Marco's dream, they're all, you know, they're old white ladies. And this guy's dream, you know, because he's a black guy, they're all old black ladies. But his dream's actually different. Like, you see another guy get killed. Yeah, and it's an abrupt an abrupt scene of violence, man. Like, when he's telling him to shoot him in the head, like, he lifts a gun, you see... Yeah, he just shoots him. He's just like, fuck it. It's a good sequence of cuts. Like, he brings up the, the gun, it goes to that wide shot, and you see the blood getting mm-hmm. splattered on the uh, the flags in the back. And I mean... It's a good sequence. You know, it, it is. It is. It's like, once again... It holds like, up today, I, man. Like, it'll catch you off I guard. I really enjoy the hypnosis sequences. Well, I even like it when the doctor comes back to check oh, on Raymond Shaw. Yeah, when Shaw when Shaw's in the in the hospital. Well, they they fake they they fake he has an accident or gets hit by a car, so that the doctor Which can is, come in and check on his his progress and see if you know all his brainwashing is still intact from two years ago. Yeah. Mister Fu Manchu, he uh, <laughs> he does look like Fu Manchu. That dude is fucking creepy, man. Like I cannot stress on how much that that guy fucking creeps me out. Well, he's got a little humor and, in this scene, man. Where he, he yeah, he does. Yeah, he, capitalist puns. He does have some weird humor in the scene. Like kind of after that, you really don't see him that much through the movie. And and that's another thing. It's like I I really do like I like Frank Sinatra's character because he he knows something's up. And even though he didn't like Shaw, he still wants to get to the bottom of it. And I think by the end of the movie, he actually has a different opinion of Raymond Shaw than he did the beginning. And it's just like, yeah, as soon as you meet Raymond's mother, Angela Lansbury, like, you know, she is just like this evil, manipulative, sociopathic bitch. Oh, dude, she's the ultimate puppet master. Oh, totally. When he's in the hospital and they're checking his wires, you know, they want to... And they actually even get him to go kill somebody 
the test out to make sure his brainwashing is still intact. They're going to turn him over to his American operator. Well, it turns out his mom is the American operator. And there's this really powerful scene at the end where you get all this information, dude. And it's my favorite scene in the entire movie, dude. I just I love it. She sets out like what they're planning to do. Why? Why they? Why they need this brainwash assa- uh, brainwashed assassin? And then she she gives this great monologue where she's like, "Yeah, you know these commie guys. I didn't know that they were gonna take you, but they did, so that they could control me. But you know what? When we get when we get into the White House, oh, we're gonna make everyone pay. Like, sh- dude, she has gone into like crazy Bond villain, gonna take over the world, Mad Woman, at the end of this movie." I know you will never entirely comprehend this, Raymond. But you must believe I did not know it would be you. I served them. I fought for them. I'm on the point of winning for them the greatest foothold they will ever have in this country. And they paid me back by taking your soul away from you. I told them to build me an assassin. I wanted a killer from a world filled with killers, and they chose you. Because they thought it would bind me closer to them. But now we have come almost to the end. One last step. And then when I take power, they will be pulled down and ground into dirt for what they did to you. And what they did in so underestimating me. Yep, and then she briefly makes up with her own son. I like that dude. I I love that. It's so creepy, but man, it just it is creepy. Oh, it just fits with her her character though, man. I mean, she's just And another thing that further makes you well empathized for for Raymond Shaw's character. With a mom like that, dude, it'd be a miracle if he turned out fucking normal. I mean, she ruins everything in this man's life. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he falls in love with a girl, and <laughs> it's you know that's the fucked up thing. You know, you know. I what, what did they call I, her? Like a co- like call her like a commie hussy or something like that? A commie slut yeah, or something? <laughs> yeah, basically that's what she called her. But no, which what I found was so fucked up, dude. She knows that her son has feelings for this girl. Whose father is another senator. Who she's also called a commie supporter. Yeah, and her husband has come out and you know said that it was a commie, he was a commie supporter. Basically rehooks them up. They get married. Then she fucking convinces him to kill his father-in-law and his wife of what? Not even 24 hours yet? Hold up. You're ma- you're making it sound like you know, like, oh, she set she sets him up just so she can kill him. No, she is so evil and manipulative. She wants to, okay, so she wants to get her husband onto the vice president ticket. The the girl that Raymond Shaw is in love with, her father's this other senator, and she wants his support for her husband's vice president nomination. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole reason that she's even inviting him to the party. And when he says no, she's like, okay. Well, I'll just go get my, I'll just get my brainwashed son to murder you. And because she gets they, rather uh, she gets rather pissed off at that party too during that conversation with him. Oh yeah, because apparently like he must have some kind of dirt on their family. Well, not only that, but also, you know, Angela Lansbury's character 
she is the one that's controlling everything. She's controlling her son. She's con- completely, completely controlling her husband, who is a senator. You kind of see this, I think, in this scene where she wants to control this other senator, but she can't. He, he's just not having it. Oh, no, dude. Yeah, she loses her mind in this movie anytime she can't control someone, you know? I mean, and, you know, she because she goes off earlier in the movie when they're having the conversation about the numbers, like how many numbers of communists are in the, in the government. Dude, that is one of the best jokes, though, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, can we just decide what? on one... Yeah, one can we just easy number on for me to number? remember? <laughs> and then he's got the ketchup, the Heinz ketchup bottle. And then it yeah. cuts to it. He's like, there are exactly 57 communist supporters at the yep. defense department. The 57 joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that was a bit comical, too. Dude, that still yeah. plays well. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, once again, that, that tells you the level that she's willing to go to create lies and propaganda there's no boundary this woman will not cross to get what she wants oh dude yeah and and look man even the way frankenheimer puts her in the frame like the the welcome home party for um raymond shaw at at near the very Mm. beginning of the movie you know like when you're introduced to his mom the way she comes in and she takes over the foreground of a frame you know or even like the first time that um it's the first time you see Senator Eislin when he comes in and he's accusing um, somebody of being a communist for the first time. Yeah, when he walks in with the with the blank piece of paper in his hand. Yeah, and then there's that shot where he's on the television. Angela Lansbury's character is over on the left side of the frame watching the television. There are a lot of these visual cues where she's just always right here in the frame. And you want to know something, man, that I, I, one character, I, do I really feel that she's necessary for the film? No. And that's Rosa. Well, Rose, Rosa. Whatever. I forget what her, what was her name? I think it was Rosie, I guess. Something along those lines. I forget what her first name was. Uh, Something Eugene. I really don't. Eugenie? I really. Eugenie. Jeannie. But yeah, it's like, I I really kind of. Do your friends call you Jeannie? I didn't see the significance in in that, and it's like, wow, you just kind of you kind of really hooked up with uh Marco really quick. Oh wait, you're t- are you talking about the are you talking about our whole character? Or are you just talking about the train sequence in particular? Yeah, yeah, the train sequence and and just in general her whole character. Yeah, well, when you first encounter her, you get this kind of like a bit of an untrusty, or I got like a kind of an untrust vibe with her. You thought she was uh, Frank Sinatra's American operator? Yes. I think it's Roger Ebert's review of this movie where yeah. he put that theory out there. But, yeah, man, at the end of the movie, I don't think that she really can be. No, 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 no. no. Not by spy. the end of the movie. No, I don't think she is by the end of the movie. But would you, would you, would I would say that that's what my first impression was her was of her in this movie? Yes. See, when I first saw this movie, I just thought it was a really bad scene. And yes, that too. Because, I mean, the dialogue is really Probably the weakest scene in the movie. Like, I mean, the acting's fine. I don't know. It's just how they say things. And it's really weird that, like, Frank Sinatra's barely making eye contact with her. Yeah. You know, it's like he's looking out the window. 
Carolyn's a beautiful state. This is Delaware. I know. I was one of the original Chinese workmen who laid the track on this stretch. But, um, nonetheless, Maryland is a beautiful state. So is Ohio, for that matter. I guess so. Columbus is a tremendous football town. You in the railroad business? Not anymore. However, if you will permit me to point out, when you ask that question, you really should say, are you in the railroad line? It really is an odd scene. Her character is is just um, kind of bizarre in the in the film altogether, yeah. to be honest with you. And this is like Janet yeah. Lee after she did Psycho. Like I I did see somewhere where J- Jamie Lee Curtis said because uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is you know Janet Lee's daughter said that uh, her mom yeah. was uh, served divorce papers from Tony Curtis on the on the set of this movie. Well, that sucks during the train during this first train sequence right here. Damn. But you're right. It, it, I mean, I get the whole American operator thing, and I get why Ebert thought that. I get why you think that, you know, because they do kind of like repeat that address and the phone number. And she is like very oddly into him, and he is not into her at all. Well, or at least Marco at this point. I mean, I feel like he, I feel like he's on a man. He's a man on the edge of cracking. No, no, for sure. At this point. Like you yeah, talked about with the he, sweating. Yeah, for sure. Look, dude, you that's yeah. why he's doing all that sweating. Because he's cracking up. <laughs> you know, because he, <laughs> he doesn't know what these if these dreams are real. I mean, he feels deep inside that, you know, something's not right. He knows in his gut something's not right, but can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, I, I also kind of think feel like the, the scene with the uh Asian helper when he shows up at Shaw's place. Like oh, I feel like that's kind uh, Henry of a, a little bit of a yeah. I feel like that's a little bit of a weird scene too. Yeah, dude. It's I, like it seems it seems that they make all the Asian actors in this movie just act fucking creepy as fuck. Yeah, well, Henry Henry Salva the that you know ends up helping him is the same dude that was the guide in the beginning of the movie that got him captured. Yeah. We know him best from his eighties work. Because he's the bad guy in Above the Law and Code yes, of Silence. Is. Yeah. Yes, he is. The Chuck Norris film. Yes, he is. Code of Silence is great. Above the Law, you yes. know, hey, it's it's Seagal's first joint, so it's not as good. It is what it is. I do like the, the, the fight scene. I was reading somewhere that that's the first karate scene in a movie, in a, in a Hollywood movie in America. I, I was like, what? Really? But, you know, 1962, wow. I don't know. Maybe it was. Yeah, because the martial arts films hadn't really hit big. They didn't hit big here until the 70s. Yeah, I mean, Dr. No was released in 1962, which is crazy when you think about it. Um, yeah. In the UK, but I don't think it made it over to the States till 63. You know, and that's got some karate, you know, oh, well, I guess that's not really karate either. I guess those are just fight scenes. Maybe I'm comparing them because they're both sped up. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know how the '60s they they had to speed up those action sequences. Yeah, like you really yeah, see it in the a beginning. Bit faster. Of, uh, what's that? What's the Bond movie where you? Uh, it's I think it's Thunderball where the where he's fighting yeah, Thunderball. He's yep. in the very beginning of the uh, the pre credit sequence. Mm-hmm. That is so sped up when Sean Connery's fighting that guy. Yeah, but this isn't like a horrible horrible fight scene. It's, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty decent enjoy the scene and like the other scenes the scenes that you get with uh 
like with Shaw and with um, Marco, um, especially after Marco goes back to Shaw's house after the altercation with the, I guess, would be his butler. Are you talking about the um, scene where they're drinking? They're getting drunk? Yeah. And yeah. You get the flashback? Like, see, I mean, I, I really do enjoy all that. And, and I feel like that sets it up, you know, for what kind of continues and goes on after that. Yeah, you start liking um, Raymond Shaw right there. Yeah, you do. You you start realizing that, you know, well, maybe maybe the guy is kind of a bit of a pampered douche, but he's got potential to be a decent person. That was com- almost completely done in one shot. And it's Sinatra and Lawrence Harvey just playing off of each other. And it works very well. And yeah, it's um, just I in believe, a I believe that Frankenheimer. Yeah, and I also believe that Frankenheimer said that Sinatra was best on his first take. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Which is which is really weird to hear a director say that. You know? I think I think that kind of pissed Frankenheimer off sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, I would imagine it would, you know, because there is uh, there's a shot like. Uh, in the interrogation scene when um, Frank Sinatra brings the whole deck, the whole de- stack deck of, of the Queen of, of Diamonds. The Queen of Diamonds. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's doing the interrogation. Dude, Frank Sinatra's shot is completely out of focus. And I was listening to the audio commentary, and Frankenheimer was like, look, that was the first take we shot of that. And we realized it was out of focus, and we went back and shot this two, three more times. And he was just never as good. So Frankenheimer picked the shot that had the better performance. When you go back and watch this on Blu-ray, you can really clearly see this, this his close-ups out of shot, uh, out of focus. But not all the time. Like you can tell, like sometimes they they go back to another um, another take because you can tell you can tell when they get the one that's in focus of Frank Sinatra. In yeah, there. It, 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 I imagine it would be a little bit frustrating, especially for a director. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your first take, yeah, you get to do run-throughs with your crew and everything like that. But you know, when actors are are doing a performance and they're doing it for real, you know, and they're putting their whole gusto into it, they're gonna do things that are probably just a little bit different, or they may have a little bit extra energy than what you're what yeah. you're expecting, and they may go out of focus, or they may not hit their mark a hundred percent right. Or you know they they may do something and it hits the camera. There's a lot. Or they of- use a different inflection on their words. <laughs> it's really also kind of cool because I think this movie almost works like a detective film, kind of where Marco would be like the detective trying to figure out the crime. Yeah, well, I mean, eventually the army starts believing Marco. You know, because yeah. like, you know Frank Sinatra, the entire movie's like, "Hey, come on, guys, you guys got to believe me." And when they when they give him. Permission to do the investigation. They do mention the other soldiers in that scene. There were like two other people that identified, you know, the same people that he did. And then they they apparently identified Fu Manchu. They know that he's a communist spy. Yeah, I mean, Frank Sinatra is pretty much like with Raymond Shaw the entire time. And, you know, you, you get the flashbacks with Shaw's character falling in love and... I mean, I like this stuff. You need it for the movie, but it. This is where the movie start starts to drag a little bit for me. Yeah, it does. I agree. 
and does start to drag a little bit through these parts. But it picks it it picks back up. I think you know once once they get the party and yeah, I was gonna say once they have the the um the masquerade party, I feel that it the movie kind of picks back up and you know starts to get more interesting again. Yeah, and dude, I I love you know <laughs> Frank Sinatra's got this really good scene. After Raymond Shaw, he goes he goes off and he he marries the senator's da- daughter. You know she's so happy, and he he has the. Oh yeah, both of them are. Yeah, both of them are. It's like yeah. it's really weird because you haven't seen Raymond Shaw really other than in the flashback. You haven't seen this guy really happy. Hey Ben, I made a joke. I made a joke, Ben. Look at me. Have you ever yeah. heard me make a joke before? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, you can tell I'm in such a good mood because I don't make jokes and now I'm cracking jokes. You do kind of yeah. like the guy. I will say you do like you do kind of like Raymond Shaw at this moment. Yeah, you almost you almost kind of like I don't say almost. Can, you, I do like him at this point in the movie, man. Yeah, at this I point do. in time, at this point in time movie, yeah, I, I do like him. Yeah, I mean cuz his yeah. mom did make him break up with this chick in the first place. Yes, she did. You know, I mean, like she's a dirty bitch. You know, he just wants to be happy. He's so bitter because he he lost the love of his life, and now he can be with her. I was like, his mom is not only did she just straight play on his emotions, she fucking just straight up used him, and not only him, but the girl that he was in love with. It doesn't. She doesn't come out and say that. You know, his mom gave her the the Queen of Diamonds costume. But come on, man. She just shows up in a Queen of Diamonds costume. No, 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 no. That was a total accident. They, she didn't want that to happen at all. Because remember, she took the Queen of Diamonds oh, card yeah, 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 yeah. with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it yeah, just so did. happens that okay. So at this yeah, party, she ran across the costume. Yeah, her mom is is getting ready to get Raymond to go kill the you know the father in law senator, but he's not the father in law yeah. yet. And yeah. uh, she ends up taking the Queen of Diamonds card away. And with her when she leaves, yeah, when the because yeah, she's got to go help out her husband, Senator Island, with his speech because you know he can't do anything himself. Yeah, because he's fucking incompetent. And I like how he's dressed up as Abe Lincoln at this party. Fuck you, you're no Abe Lincoln. Yeah, you're no Abe Lincoln. <laughs> you're no good Abe. Anyway, now if you would if you would have put a fucking toupee on and use some kind of orange fucking paint on your body, yeah. Yeah, so Shaw's girl, she ends up showing up at this party, and she just happens to be dressed as the Queen of Diamonds. And when she shows up, it kind of breaks him out of his brainwashed spell, and he sees her, and he's like, oh, and he falls madly in love with her, and they go off. Um, Which makes it tragic when he goes back and confronts his mom, because, you know, he's, he's off, and he's having his happy honeymoon, and the only reason he goes, you know, even to confront his mom is because his stepdad is talking all this crap about his new father-in-law yep. calling him a communist on television so he's gonna go give him a piece of his mind and that's the minute his mom like you know brainwashes him and she just gets him or she activates him yeah she activates him. oh she's just such an evil manipulative bitch oh yeah dude yeah you you hate her oh no you totally yeah. hate her and she's got that kind of like that 50s like I hate you, but I'm still nice. You know, because I mean, yeah. look, this is the, the this is the woman from Murder She Wrote. I mean, she's kind of got the a sweet voice, face. The voice of the freaking tea. The tea <laughs> yeah. The... Oh yeah. <laughs> and Beauty and, Beauty the, Beast. and the Beast. 
Uh, I forgot about that. You know, yeah, I always saw Angela Lansbury as like straight being like this this grandmother, and and then seeing how evil she is in this movie, you're just like, I don't know if I view you the same anymore, Angela. It's 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 a crying shame that the she lost the best supporting actress Oscar for this. She was nominated. It was a, sh- it was well, a she shame she won lost. that shit. Yeah, this movie was nominated yeah. for two Oscars, uh, Best Supporting Actress, Angela Lansbury, and it was nominated for um, editing. But uh, Lawrence of Arabia won. Uh, I'd probably give it, personally, I'd probably give it to the mentoring candidate for editing. I mean, especially for the yes, just... Yes, definitely editing, dude. Yeah, yeah definitely the editing, because the editing is amazing in this movie. Lawrence Arabia is an amazing movie. Nobody's taken away from the movie, but I think this movie... I think Fer- Fer- Ferris Webster is the guy, the editor for this film. I think he just did yeah. fantastic job on this. You know, he, yeah. he just picked the right moments, especially you know in the uh, hydrania, <laughs> brainwashed oh, yeah, flashback sequences. Yeah. yeah, like the moments he picks to have like the old lady and or versus the Chinese guy, and when to show these soldiers doing horrible things in the lobby setting versus the evil lecture hall. I, I, yeah. I, I just think are brilliant. Yeah. So it, good. It's fucking phenomenal. I really, really love the scene, man, where Shaw gets kind of broken from this hold. Oh, but the interrogation scene with all the, yeah. uh, the, the stacked deck of queen of diamonds. Yeah. 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 And what's really messed up is like, it's like, I still don't understand why he killed his wife though. I'm a little unsure on that because uh, Fu Manchu was, doctor, um, Fu Manchu doctor yeah, but, said that if any witness, if uh, anybody the saw him, yes, the witnesses, if yes, anybody ever saw him commit a murder, he would have to kill them, kill them too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's why he, he ended up killing his wife. And in the scene right here, he basically, he tells fucking Marco everything he did. And he's like, yeah, I strangled a soldier. I shot the other soldier. I killed my boss, killed my father-in-law. I killed my wife. Oh, yeah. No, he lays out everything in the movie and everything at, at that interrogation scene. Everything in the film comes into crystal clear. You get it. Yes. Yes, very much. So. Even that weird and, scene where he's in the bar. You know, you know the one I'm talking about where he, he just happens yeah, he, to go into he, a bar and the guy's like, why don't yeah. you play some solitaire? And he just he happens to pick up the deck. So he starts playing. Why don't you go out and get in the cab and drive across town and jump in the jump in the lake okay dude i'm not gonna lie first time i saw this movie i was totally confused by this scene yeah it is a little confusing because you don't know that the the deck is the trigger yet yeah for his brainwashing and when he just goes and he jumps in the river you're like what what why did he do that but when you get that interrogation scene he clearly spells out what happened in that scene and everything for me anyway just snapped into perfect focus. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You told me all this. How are you going to end it? Sinatra does do does try his best to help him out. You know, he tries to rewire him. It does work, and you know they kind of hatch a plan to kind of catch Shaw's mother. Uh well, and, they don't really hatch a plan. Well, yeah, it's not really a plan hatch, but Shaw's <laughs> supposed to contact Marco. Yeah, you don't when know. When he gets to this rally, you don't know if if Frank Sinatra really breaks the brainwashing connections or not. Well, I felt like he did. 
Well, he does. He does. He does in the movie. I mean, we can go ahead and say he does. But at at that point in the movie, you don't know whether he does or not. So when his mom calls him, and that's when they have that huge scene where she tells him, like, "Oh, I didn't. I didn't know they were going to use you, and you know, we're going to kill everybody. We'll take off. We'll take on all these bastards." The interesting thing about about the movie is that you you have this whole assassination plot that is is revealed when the when the mom is talking to Shaw. I mean, she reveals everything. You know, the the whole thing is is to get the is to get her husband into the presidential nomination. Yeah, to get him in, in the, yeah, White, the House. White House. And then she has no point. She has no idea that Shaw has been broken from the hypnosis at this point in time. Lawrence Harvey is really good in these scenes because when you first watch it, you're like, oh, he's just, yeah, he's brainwashed. But when you watch it again, you know what he's doing. He's just plotting to kill his mom and his stepdad Mm -hmm. because they have literally, they've taken everything from him. Marco even questions himself. Well, did he really get broken? Oh, no, dude. Like, yeah, this is a tense moment in the movie. It's like, you know, it's it's a question. Yeah, because you don't know who he's going to shoot. You don't know if he's going to shoot the president-elect. Or what? You know? No, it, de- it, it definitely it looks like, it, you know, he's just brainwashed again. Instead of shooting the president-elect, he shoots his stepfather and mother. And, it, you know, that the interaction between him and Marco right there at the end, What the, the way he, it's not really what he says right there at the end, Shaw, but it's like he finally feels like he's free. You know what I'm saying? Like the the his mannerisms and his gestures, like he feels like he's a person that is actually free. I or guess I, I, I he's free he is. from his mother. Yeah, free of his mom, but I I don't know. I guess he feels like he's always trapped, and there's I don't know. And there's, there's no way out. Yeah, that's why he, he can do. You know, it's that's kinda, why he kind of just takes his own life. It's kind of sad. I mean, the, this, this this whole sequence is is really good because you know they're they're looking for Shaw. And the the way he's up in in the tower and he's putting the rifle together, and yeah. he, he, even when he goes and he gets into his sniper's nest, like you see the geography of of the room. So like, mm-hmm. and he and he and I love the cuts, you know, where it's you know th- uh, showing through the the scope. Yeah, and they're they're on the nominee, you know, or the elect. When Frank Sinatra's running up there after him, you get those same moments. Where you know where Raymond Shaw was walking up until the into the booth mm-hmm. to get into the sniper's nest area, you know you yep. see Frank Sinatra repeat all these moments. It it helps add to the suspension because you you know you know you know he's getting closer, you know just based yep. off of the geography and from the scene before where where Frank and I'm gonna put the camera, and when Sinatra gets up into that room, he's he's already shot his mom, he's already shot his stepdad, and nobody could do anything. The police couldn't do anything. The army couldn't do anything. So there's nothing I can do. So I had to take care of it. You yeah. understand, right, buddy? Boom. While he's I mean, wearing yeah. his medal. You know, there's the the one there's one shot right before Marco comes into the room. And it's like, you know, shit's getting intense because it's cutting back and forth between Shaw and Marco. He's got the fucking is I think it's like the last shot you actually see through the scope. Um, he's got it pointed on the president-elect, and all of a sudden he just moves the barrel over to the right and just takes his fucking stepfather out. And then before his mom can even realize it, takes her ass out too. 
And man, dude, those are some gory headshots too. They they are or they were yeah. It kind of surprised me. <laughs> yeah, dude, this movie does not pull punches. I mean, like you know, it's got a nice satirical edge. It's got a little bit of comedy, but when it goes in for the political punch, man, boom, you get. I mean, this movie well, packs see, drama. The only thing that I kind of thought was weird is the final scene of the movie. Oh, where Frank, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, where Mark is uh, reading. He's reading what other Medal of Honor winners yeah. did to earn their Medal of Honor. Yeah. And, yeah. like, he closes the book at the end, and then, you know, he gives a brief description of what what happened to Shaw. Yeah. And he breaks down. I mean, no, I mean, I think it's a it's a great way to close out the movie, man. I mean, it is a great way, but, like, it would have been interesting to just see him, like, sitting there at a typewriter, typing up his report. And then it would say at the headline, the Manchurian can. No, man, I, I don't, I don't think it needed that because I mean, this was a, you have to remember, like he was suffering those nightmares. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the ending. I do. Um, The only problem I have with the ending is that you, this is the part where you realize Janet Lee's character was a complete fucking waste. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you do. Because like, she shows up in the train. She shows up to pick him up from the hospital. Okay, hold up. We and, we didn't talk about uh, her other scenes. Let's because uh, we, we they get introduced in the train. Yes. but we didn't talk about that second scene because he he does get picked up after he has that fight with the uh, yeah. the 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 Korean guide um, <laughs> with the uh, with the butler. <laughs> yeah, the Korean butler from Shaw's office. She comes and picks him up from the police station. She's like, you know, I had a fiance. I yeah. ditched that guy. He's gone because you I met you in a train. I kicked him out yeah, of here. You, you scandalous harlot. I mean, she's coming on really strong. Yeah, almost desperate. Yeah, she she, she does. She has this, this line of dialogue where she kicks her fiance uh, completely out of the house just because she yeah, met I mean, I, Frank Sinatra I, on the not, train. Yeah, I got, I got a nice little chuckle out of that. I was like, damn, talk about swagger. <laughs> and I kissed my fiance for the last time, I might add, in our entire lives. I like how she <laughs> she added that. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, I mean, dude, that's, that's the Manchurian candidate right there, brother. Yes. I think we're going we're gonna to wrap up here. We're going to give our final thoughts. Um, okay, so Manchurian candidate. This movie is... I don't want to say it's a masterpiece, but it's it's about as close as you can get. No, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I struggle. Do you call this movie a masterpiece? It's close to being a masterpiece. I mean, there are a couple scenes, and you know, we we talked about some of the some of the little nitpicky things that hold this movie back. But the thing is, is that this is a film made in 1962, a political thriller, 1962, right? Black and white. You put this movie in today, it still has relevance. It has a really good story. It's got a, it's a real good story about family. You know, we're talking about uh, Raymond Shaw and his mom, and man, you know, Angela Lansbury just just knocking it out of the park as evil mom because she is evil mom. Um, and John Frankenheimer, he fought to to get Angela Lansbury in in, in this in this role as the mom. Uh, I think Frank Sinatra re- originally wanted uh, Lucy Ball to play this role, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, Sinatra's like, look, you know, I wanted to work with you, Frankenheimer, because, you know, he, he's coming hot off of Birdman from Alcatraz. I think it was the right call. I think I think Frank, Frankenheimer had the right instincts for this, and it uh, 
totally rejuvenated Angela Lansbury's career. This this is a star making performance. I mean, this is a movie, man. I I think I was shown like at twelve, kind of introduced me to the idea of of the Cold War because when I was growing up, like Russia was just the you know they were just the competition at the Olympics <laughs> to me as a yeah. kid. <laughs> they yeah, were. when uh, I think the first time I remember seeing this was on TMC back in the day, um, but I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I just so happened to pick it up and it was just like this movie is awesome i mean it uh i would have to say that there's like you said that there are so many things with this film that are great you almost feel guilty about you know singling out the things that aren't so great about it which there are very few um i feel like the acting is is great it's phenomenal you know, directing is great. Use of of political, you know, commentary to it is great. Angela Lansbury is the fucking epitome of evil in this film. Yes, she is. She's she's, she's e- way more evil than the thought of communism itself. <laughs> you know, and it's like, damn, you y'all are worried about communism when this lady right here is like way worse. And yes, it does still resonate to this day um like you said when if you were to pop it in right now and watch it you could you could totally relate our political presence or the political presence in our country now you could totally relate that to um some of what's going on in the manchurian candidate like this is a classic film you know you were saying it's a it's a masterpiece it's damn close but it, I would definitely consider one of the it, one of the great classics. You know, you haven't seen it, and I I haven't seen the remake. There was a remake done with Denzel Washington. Yeah, it's and I have not I have not seen the remake, so I've only seen the original. Yeah, and, um, Jonathan Demme directed the remake, uh, and it's yeah, no, it's not bad. They they took the instead of being commies, the Manchurian. It's now the Manchurian Corporation. Or the Manchurian Bank, yeah. or something like that. It's a it's a corporation yeah. now. Is the evil entity? Well, it just sounds fucking stupid. It, it loses a lot of its uh, teeth, but man, Meryl mm-hmm. Streep has oh man, she's got this great scene in that film where she's trying to convince all these other senators, you know, to back you know her husband. Yeah, kind of like in this movie. But man, dude, it's so good. And you know, Meryl Streep, so she's knocking it out yeah. of the park. Oh fuck! I imagine. And you know, Jonathan Demme is a you know Jonathan Demme directed Sons of Lambs. This guy's guy good. No, he's well, a, he's a good director too. He, yeah, he was a good director. Um, he passed away not too terribly long ago. So, which is yeah. unfortunate. Love this fucking movie. That's right. And hopefully, everybody had a uh, happy and safe Turkey Day. Happy Happy Thanksgiving to everyone that lives in North America. That's right. <laughs> or not North America, but the United States, because I don't believe they celebrate Thanksgiving in Canada or Mexico. So, <laughs> or Mexico. So, yeah. So everybody celebrates uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, happy uh, Thanksgiving to you guys, um, Brett Peterson. Hopefully, you're driving home. You hopefully you enjoy this episode. <laughs> Yes, yes. We 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 made sure we made sure you would not have a lonely drive this year 
without our beautiful voices to soothe your ears on your drives. That's right. You don't. You don't actually listen to your loved ones on Thanksgiving. Like what? Who the no. hell does that anymore? Yeah. No. Just listen to some strangers talking the microphones. Anyway. So, guys, you have been listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. If you guys want to get in contact with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew, and crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E, extra E at the end of the word crew, at gmail.com. You guys can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at moviecrewpod. Um, And if you guys could please leave us a five-star rating or really just any rating on iTunes and Stitcher overcast that helps people find out about the show. Uh, we certainly appreciate that. Paul, where can people follow you, sir? Uh, you can follow me at Paul R Williams, J one. And also as usual, want to give a shout out to Aquarius weapon and all the awesome music that he does. And yeah, do yourself a favor. Go go give this guy a listen. So guys, like always, we're going to close out a little bit with the score. We're going to play the theme from the Manchurian Candidate from composer David Armoram. Enjoy. Enjoy.